0: This is our second week in our series, Seeing Jesus. It's on the Gospel of John. And just like David mentioned last week, man, I am really excited about it. Part of the reason I'm really excited about it is we just completed a a series. If you didn't get to listen to it or be here for it, check back on the the podcast or the website. We just completed a series about our mission and vision. And what we said is that we want to be, as a church, we want to be an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others. That's really the work of the church It's the work of any church is to, to be awakened and then to take that to other people around us. And we said that that happens. We experience and other people experience an awakening in their souls when the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to make Jesus real to a person. And that's why we're in the book of John. Like I can do that in all of scripture. All of scripture is about Jesus But in John chapter 12, I think verse 21, some Greeks came to Jesus' disciples and they said, hey, we want to see Jesus. And that's what I'm praying. That's what our prayer is for all of us here this morning. And as we begin this study in the book of John is that we would see Jesus, the Holy Spirit would take this book and turn it like a great multifaceted diamond. You know, a diamond has all those cuts in it. He would take, take it like a multifaceted diamond and turn it and dazzle us with the beauty and the glory that's found in the face and the person of Jesus You need that. I need that more than anything else in the world. That's what you and I need to have the Holy Spirit make Jesus real to you. That's lifeblood to you. That's water for your thirsty soul. That's breath to your life. That is that that's what you long for. And so I'm saying if that is lifeblood to you, that is breath to you. That is water for your thirsty soul, which is what scripture says that it is. Then long for it. Make time for it. Pray that Jesus would do that for you as we gather here today and as in the coming weeks. Engage in it. Because in this book, we have the fuel. And the Holy Spirit can provide the the spark that can warm your cold hearts. In this book, we have the fuel, the Holy Spirit can provide the spark that can make Jesus real to you, that can renew your fellowship with him. Are you a Christian and you feel like you've grown cold? Have you been around church a while while, and you wonder if this thing is real or worth it or true? Do you remember days when it seemed like Jesus was real to you and your love for him was intense and you intensely knew that he loved you in return? It's this, this is the fuel showing us Jesus. That the Holy Spirit can use to renew that fellowship with him. And maybe you're here and you're wondering, I don't even know if this thing is real. This is the fuel and the Holy Spirit can provide the spark to make Jesus real to you. Now, the book of John is what we call a gospel. And that means that it's an accounting or a story of Jesus's life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection. John wrote this book. There's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John wrote this Gospel after the others had already been written. And he wrote it because he had a little bit of a different goal than the other authors have. John, who had been there with Jesus from the beginning, by the way, John is less concerned about the chronology of the story than he is wanting us to understand what the meaning behind the story is. You can read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Luke, but all those, you can read those and get the story about the the Virgin Mary and Joseph and the angels and the manger and the wise men and kind of the whole genealogy of Jesus, how this kind of thing happened, how it all came to be. But John wants us to get the meaning behind what's happened. So, because of that, John starts his book differently. David mentioned it this week. At the, at the beginning of his book, which we call the prologue, is verses 1 through 18. It can be a little bit confusing because he uses a lot of figurative languages, a lot of word pictures. Before he even mentions the name of Jesus, he talks about the word and life and light and darkness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us how Jesus came to earth. They focus on the angels, the virgin, the manger, the wise men, but John is focusing on what it means, and that's why he uses that figurative language of the word and life and light and darkness. He wants us to see the meaning behind Jesus coming. What does it mean that Jesus, fully God and fully man, was born of a virgin, laid in a manger, lived a perfect life, and died a death and rose again? What does it mean? Who is Jesus? David asked that question last week. Who is Jesus? That's what John is focused on. Who is Jesus and why did he come? These are the great questions and these aren't just the great questions of John. These are the great questions of life. These are the great questions of the world. These are the great questions that you have to to face. The great question that every person on the face of the earth has to face is who is Jesus and why did he come? And John poses these questions and he goes to the heart because he doesn't want us, he doesn't want you and I just to know about Jesus. There are millions of people in America who know a lot about Jesus. If they're to take a trivia quiz about the life of Jesus, they could get, well, maybe less than a few years ago, but they could get a lot of stuff right about the Virgin and the cross and things like that. But John doesn't want us just to know about Jesus. He wants us to believe in Jesus. And there's a world of difference between knowing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. Because our understanding about him, our relationship to him or lack thereof is the cause of all of our great problems and is the cure for all of our ills. John wants us to see Jesus, to understand why he came so that we would believe in him. And that's what I'm praying for you today as we go forward through this book. So let's look at our text. John 1, 6. if you have your Bible or your app, you can turn there. We, by the way, use the ESV version in our services here, the English Standard Version. There's lots of good versions, whatever version you read in in your Bible or your app, probably a really good translation. This is the one that we use. So don't let it throw you off that some of the words are different. John 1, verse 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist here. There's a lot of John, so it can get confusing. He came, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that that, hear the meaning, that we all might believe Through him. That's Jesus. He, that's John the Baptist, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. That's Jesus. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John starts his gospel, like all the gospel writers do, with the story of John the Baptist. He spends less time here at this part than some of the others do at the beginning, but all of them begin with John the Baptist. He'll revisit him in just a few verses. But why? Why does he start with John? He starts with John because John the Baptist is the one who came, he was promised in the Old Testament the prophet who would come before Jesus, before the Messiah would come, and he would announce... Prepare the way for Jesus to come. He would prepare the way. He would preach the gospel, the the repentance that you need to come back to God, return back to God. And he would be the one who would point to or identify the Messiah. And that's exactly what John did. John preached the gospel of the kingdom as the promised messenger. He called people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And then he said, someone is coming who is greater than me. John Hugh caused a huge stir. He was a really big deal. Thousands and thousands of people came out to hear him preach. Thousands of people were baptized by him. Thousands of people had their life changed under his ministry. And he said, there's one coming after me who is greater than me. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus showed up, John said this. He said, behold... All right, he'd been preaching, repent to the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is at hand. And then when Jesus shows up one day, all of a sudden, even though his cousin, we don't know, did he know before this? Was it just this moment when Jesus walks out? All of a sudden, John sees him and he knows that's the one I've been preparing for. And he says, behold, look, or behold, look, look, everybody. This, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he said, I must decrease and he must increase. What he's saying is, my whole ministry has existed to point to him. Now, that makes two quick points I just want to point out before we move on. Uh, one is, that the claims about Jesus, his divinity, his life, his death, that he rose again from the dead, that the, that the grave is empty, the claims about Jesus have many Witnesses. John came before Jesus. People knew that he was called by God to be a prophet. He prepared the way, and then he said, This is the one I've been preparing you for, pointing directly to Jesus and says, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him. He I must decrease, he must increase. John the Baptist verified that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, or the Lamb. John's greatness was found that he pointed ahead to Jesus. Jesus had witnesses that came beforehand. He has tons of prophecies in the Old Testament that can only be fulfilled by the person of Jesus. And he had hundreds of witnesses who lived life with him, saw him die, saw him resurrected, and knew that the grave was empty. Our faith, no matter what some people might say or what you might be tempted to believe, our faith is founded in reality and in truth. It's not a blind step of faith. There are witnesses to Jesus all the way surrounding his life. And the other thing that should, it kind of points me to about as we look at John is that because his greatness was found, that he's, because he pointed people ahead to Jesus, the best thing that we can do as Christians is point people back to Jesus. Jesus alone is the light and life as we see in this passage. And he can do the shining and the life giving. Now notice that the way that John, our the apostle John describes Jesus he talks about john in verse six and seven then he talks about jesus he says john was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light that's jesus the true light verse nine which gives light or shines light upon everyone was coming into the world what we see is that jesus was light coming to darkness and he shines his light upon the world now how is jesus like light Jesus like light, and that light does something light reveals. Now, when I go into my, my son's room, and the light is off, and I'm going to wish him good nights, I can walk in there and be very peaceful, because that room is dark, and I can just walk up to his bed and tell him good night, tell him I love him, pray for him, and walk out peacefully. But if the light happens to be on and I walk into his room, all of a sudden, sometimes I can feel a little bit of frustration and anger and a bit of repulsion rise in my heart when I see the state of his room. When he just had it cleaned yesterday, or he just cleaned it up yesterday, right? It was, everything was clean, and now today it looked like a goat blew up in there. How can it be like that? I'm peaceful when the light is off. I am frustrated when the light is on. Why? Because light reveals, light shows us the state of things. Jesus is like that. He reveals, he shows us who God is, and he shows us our true state. John said this, and uh, Jesus said this in John 17, verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these he's talking to these disciples know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I revealed to them, in other words, who you are. And I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Light reveals. Jesus come, Jesus showing up. God taking on man, the word of God taking on, as we talked about last week, taking on flesh. God shows up and he reveals who, Jesus shows up and reveals who God is. He shows us the nature of character of God. He shows us the the true nature of God. Think about the life of Jesus. What does his life tell us? Just really quickly as we think about it. What does his life tell us and show us about the nature of God? It shows us first of all that God is powerful. Jesus shows up, he commands the wind and the waves. Demons come up and he controls them by the word of his mouth. He walks on the water. The sick come and he heals them. The dead come and he raises them. He says, "No, don't worry, they're just sleeping." He's never flapped. He stands before Satan himself, the Lord of this world, and Satan tempts him three times and he rebuffs him one after another just by quoting the word of God. Jesus says, this this life is mine. I have the ability to lay it down and I can take it back up again. Jesus is powerful God is powerful. He shows that God is the creator. He is over all things, and he holds it all together by the word of his power. That's Jesus. It is, what? it is Jesus who is holding together the universe at this moment. He is incredibly powerful. And Jesus shows us that God is good. It says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed because God was with him. Who, if you're looking at the characters, the people who've lived in the the past history, who exhibits goodness except Jesus? There's a lot of people who have pretty good lives, mostly good lives, people that we can point to. But nobody, almost the world over, has to admit the person of Jesus is compelling in his goodness. He was gracious, he was gentle, he cared for the poor, he called out the the powerful when they were wrong, he stood strong, he took care of those who were needy, he paid his taxes, he was good, and he was just. He shows us that God is just. Jesus said, I came to bind up those who are broken, You've been broken down by society. Someone's abused you. Somebody's treated you wrong. Jesus said, I came to make that right. Jesus said, I'm the judge. I, I, will, I will come and I will judge the living and the dead. Everything that has been wrong will be made right in Jesus. And we see that played out in his life. And he promises more of that to come. He is, God is powerful, good, and just. And he's gracious. He's not just powerful and just, but he is gracious. Jesus moved towards those who are hurting. He moved to those who are sick. He was rushing through the city. They were on her way to to take care of this boy that was dying. And this woman comes who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's so ashamed of her condition. She won't even call out to him. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. She does. She's healed instantly. And Jesus could have kept on walking, couldn't he? Yeah, I healed her, he knows what's going on. Yeah, I healed her, but I gotta go on. No, he stops everything in the moment and addresses this woman who had been ostracized by society through her whole life. A Gentile comes to him and says, hey, please help me. And he says, I'm not gonna, you're not, I came from the Jews, I can't help you. They said, but even, even a dog gets a scrap from the table and he says, oh, I'll help you. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman by the well living in adultery, and he stops, talks with her, converses with her, and invites him in, invites her in. Jesus is powerful. He's good. He's just and gracious and merciful. He shows us the nature of God. You know what happens when we see the nature of God as revealed in Jesus, whenever the light of God shines through Jesus says, this is who I am. For whatever you believe differently, for whatever you've been told differently about God, whatever whatever I expect of you, who I am, how I respond to my creation, this is who I am. Do not believe other lies. This is who I am. I am powerful and good and just and gracious and merciful. And you know what happens when we see God as shown in, revealed in Jesus? You know what we see? We start to see ourselves. We see our nature in contrast with him. What I see, I see that we are admirers of truth and beauty and goodness. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. We admire goodness and truth and beauty. No matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you come from a very pagan background, a very different religion or no religion at all, every human being in our soul, because we're made in the image of God, we admire truth and beauty and goodness. But you know what is also true? We are all terrible failures at living them out. How good are you? How good are you? Just you don't say it out loud. Just in your heart, just a bit of truthfulness to yourself. How good are you? How good are you at being good, beautiful, and adhering to truth? And that's why when, God, when John uses the term world, when he says the light, the true light, was coming into the world, he isn't just talking about Jesus coming to planet Earth. His point isn't that Jesus came to visit our planet. That's true. You can see how it happened in the other Gospels, but what John is showing the meaning or the significance behind Jesus coming, that when he uses that term world there, it means the created order, which is in rebellion against God. That's you and me, all of us. You were created. You were, I want to speak to you for a second. You were created in the image of God. But there's a fault line, a chasm in your heart between you and God. And you and I, by our nature, though we are made in his image, we admire truth and beauty and goodness and generalities. When we look over the chasm and we see who God is and who we are, when we see for a second that difference, we want to pile up all kinds of things between us and that fault line, between us and that chasm, so we don't have to look at it, so we don't have to look at God, because we don't want to see the depth of darkness in our own souls. We are so desperately afraid of our cosmic loneliness that we don't want to have to think about it or consider it. And so we will medicate ourselves, we will confuse ourselves, we will fill our time with all kinds of efforts and endeavors, we will try to achieve great academic success or financial success, business success, we'll try to have an awesome Instagrammable family, or we will try to be super fit and attractive, or we will try to be very athletic and capable, we will try anything that we can get. Anything that we can find that we are good at or interests us or can take up time, we will numb ourselves with Netflix and online series. We will numb ourselves with alcohol and drugs. Anything that we can do except to look at that chasm, look at that fault line that exists in our heart between us and God and consider just how cosmically lonely we are. Because in the depth of every one of our souls, we are deeply afraid that we are alone. And not just an alone like I'm, no one's around me right now, but a cosmic loneliness that can't be cured no matter how much I do, no matter how popular I am, no matter how busy I am, I am cosmically alone. But then Jesus shows up. We see the way he came, taking on flesh, starting as a baby, A poor, a poor boy in an insignificant family in a forgotten area of the world. We see the way that he lived his life, full of goodness and truth, just yet merciful and gracious. We see the way he lived his life with his sweet, we see the way that he died, and we see his victory over death, and we're confronted not just by a different kind of living, although we see that in Jesus We might like the idea of a different way of living, a better way to live. Man, we eat that stuff up. Here's a better way to live. That's why a lot of you love Instagram and hate it at the same time. Because Instagram is full of people who are there to influence you and sell you things, by the way, but they're there to influence you, to tell you, look what a great kind of life you could have if you would only copy and follow me. And we eat that stuff up self-help books ways to better ourselves man we eat that stuff up we're suckers for it but jesus doesn't confront us with just a different kind of life where we see the life of jesus and he, and he says come and follow me and act the way that i act no because our problem isn't just in our actions our problem is relational Because if Jesus is the son of God, if he is the word, if he is the living revelation of God and truth, and this is what his light reveals, then I must trust him fully. I must believe him wholly. I must submit to him completely and I must worship him only. If Jesus is the Son of God, if he is the true light that's coming to the world, then I must, if I have to consider that, every one of us has to consider who is Jesus and why did he come? Then if that's true, then I must trust him fully. I must believe him wholly. I must submit to him completely and I must worship him only. And you know what happens? My heart, your heart recoils from that. Because I begin to see that my true problem is the nature of my heart is darkness. The light came to darkness. The true nature of my heart is rebellion against God. The true problem in my soul is I don't want to trust him. I don't want to love him. That's our problem. Your problem, my problem, it's a want to problem. Our great problem isn't a a problem of morals or behavior. Our morals and behavior reflect a deeper issue. There's a problem with our hearts, with our very nature. We don't want to acknowledge God as God. Sort of like this. I, from a very early age, have hated pot roast. I cannot help it. I did not like decide one day, I don't like that dish. I, from the very moment I first tasted pot roast, recoiled from everything about it. The flavor, the texture, which is crazy because I like beef and potatoes and carrots and onion, whatever else goes in, nasty things go in. I like them actually separate. Something chemical happens when you put them together. A new thing is born. Something that disgusts me at the very core of my being. Now, a lot of you like pot roast. My wife loves it. We never eat it at our house. I say, look, you can have it. I'm just not going to have it. We never have it at our house because I hate it so much. I hate the smell, the taste, everything about it. I can't help it. I can't, here's my thing though. I can't want to want pot roast." I can't make myself do it. And you're in my problem, our core of our problems, the very, very core is a want-to problem that goes deeper than my disgust for pot roast. We don't want to acknowledge God. We don't want to worship him. We don't want to honor him. The light comes and reveals who Jesus is and reveals us and our hearts and nature and the true problem that we have. The problem that we have is a he problem. It's I don't want to follow God. I don't want to acknowledge him. I don't want to worship him. He is the someone that is my problem. And that means if he's the true light and we are our darkness, then we got a problem. I got a real problem because I can't want, I can't make myself want to like pot roast. I can maybe, maybe I can say, I, I wish I could like pot roast, but I can't make myself like pot roast. You and I can't make ourselves love and worship God. We're part of the darkness and our darkness resists the light. Now, John wants us to see something here. It was to see that Jesus didn't come to take care of your, of your sins, like individual actions that you've done, but he came, came to take care of that heart problem that we're talking about. Look at verses 10 and 11. He, that's Jesus, was in the world. Remember, when you hear that word, broken world system, the darkness that is in rebellion against God. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, or your version may say recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Here's what John is saying. He's saying the problem isn't that the, the individual sins that we have done. It's not like the father says, hey, look at you, look at you guys. You keep doing these sins. I'm, we got to put your name on the board." And every time you do something else, you've got to put a check by your name. You know, you guys ever had that in school, the name on the board, check by your name? Our our youngest daughter, Eliza, she's three. She's new in K3, and now that's everything. She's all the time threatening us at home that if we do something bad, our name's going on the board. I don't know what happens when that happens, but she's going to put our name on the board. And sometimes we view, like, God is like his sort of this cosmic scorekeeper up in heaven With this giant blackboard, and he puts your name on there. He puts puts Randy's name down and said, hey, son, Jesus, what are we going to do? Look look at all these names on the board. Look at Randy. He has like 87,000 checks by his name. Why don't you go down and serve his detentions for them so we can erase these and we can get on? The problem isn't that my name is on some cosmic board somewhere. The problem, as we've been hitting on, is my heart's because I'm not, neither are you, naturally neutral to God, but keep doing bad things. The problem is relational. Your heart, my heart, our very nature resists God. We want to be our own God. We want to determine right and wrong for ourselves, and that is at the very core of who we are. We can't change that. You can change what you do, at least for a while. You can say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be more religious. I'm going to, look, the Bible says, don't Don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't covet. Man, I'm going to keep these things. You can try for a while, but you can't change your nature. You can't change your want to. You can't change your heart. Because you can't make yourself love what you actually hate. Your great problem, my great problem, is our sin nature, our spiritual deadness. That's our great problem not just the deeds that we have done because of that spiritual deadness, but our spiritual deadness, our sin nature, and that problem is relational. It's between me and God and you and God. And look at how John describes how that heart, that darkness manifests itself. It manifests itself in, in two ways when Jesus came. He says, because we are all dead and In our darkness, we all miss Jesus, and he describes two groups of people who rejected the light of Jesus. First of all, we see the rebellious. Verse verse 10. The world, remember the world system, was made through him, yet the world did not know him or recognize him. The rebellious or rather, those who ignore or reject him outright. Those are the people who miss Jesus. Some of us are, you might right, being here, you're like, you've been around church, you're like, yeah, I get that. Those are the people that are that are, rebe- that are rejecting Jesus. The rebellious ones. The ones who don't want to believe that he's true. They don't want to believe that he's real. The Creator came to creation, and we don't want to recognize him. We don't want to acknowledge him as our Maker, Maker, and our Lord. Yeah, those are the people. They're, they're in trouble. But then look what he also says. He says, those that the world did not know him, those in rebellion against him did not know him or recognize him as Lord and Savior and God. But look what he also said, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You know what's going on here? John's talking about the Jews here. He's talking about those people who had God's law that knew what kind of life God called them to, but they didn't receive him. The religious, the good people, didn't receive him any more than those who were in rebellion, against, outright open rebellion against him did either. Because our, again, the core of our heart, that's our problem. What he's saying is, our rebellion, our outright desire not to be governed. We don't want to recognize Jesus as Lord. We want to come face to face with him. I don't want to think about him. If he was real, if he was true, I don't want to think about what that means for me. Yes, those are the people who turn away from Jesus, but also the people who reject Jesus are those who are so good that out of their own goodness, they reject Jesus. Your own goodness can mask your need for Jesus. It can keep your heart away from him. That, what we're talking about here is when you are so good, when you're, that you think that God owes you something. When you get angry when bad things happen in your life because, you got, God, didn't you see that how many times I've been at church? Don't you see how often I read my Bible? Don't, don't you see what a good person I've been? I don't cheat on my taxes. I haven't committed adultery, I haven't done all these things. Why do they Those people over there get those things, and I don't get it. And the, the people who live that kind of life, those of us who are prone in that direction, we let our goodness separate us from God, because we feel better, because I think God owes me if I'm good. I think I don't need a savior if I'm good enough. And I can feel better about myself when compared to others. If that's you, then you live life deeply angry at God all the time because you aren't getting what you think you deserve. And you're hard on other people because they never measure up to how good you are. You see, the problem is either of those hearts miss Jesus. Because they're two versions of the same heart sickness that we're talking about. The problem is spiritual deadness. Well, real quick, let's look at the answer. This is the good news. John 1, 12 and 13. Remember he just said they didn't recognize him or receive him. But to all those who did receive him, oh, there's some hope. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's the hope. There's the only hope. Not to commit yourself to live a better life, not to be a better person, not to be more attentive at church, not to be, read your Bible more or uh, share your share the faith more often. The only hope is that's. You could believe in his name and be given the rights to become children of God. You may be spiritually dead, but you can be made alive. You can be born anew. We're going to be talking more about that in the coming weeks, but let's just look at what it says real quick. How does this new life happen? How are you reborn? You see Jesus and you believe, only believe in his name you commit yourself to live a better life, be a better person. No, only believes as to those. does it say like to those who, who were going to receive him. Those are the people who decided to follow him and, and did 80%, 90%, 75% of the things that he said to do. Is that what he says? He says, no, these are the people he gave the right to become children of God. Those who simply believed in his name, only belief. That means, all, what it means is that you believe and accept. To believe in his name means to believe and to accept everything about him, all that he says that he is. It doesn't mean that I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It doesn't mean that I have better decided to follow the teachings of Jesus. It means I see the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And I hear John the Baptist saying, here is the lamb. Here is the lamb who's come to take away the sins of the world. Here's the lamb who's come to take away your darkness. Here's the lamb that's come away to take away your deadness. Here's the one who does it. Only believe and see and trust in him alone. That's all he's asking you for. That's all he's commanded to do. Only believe. When you see the lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world and you believe that he actually came to take my sin, not just the sin of the world, but your sin, my sin, to take away my stony heart and give me a new heart of flesh that loves and cherishes God, something that I cannot do on my own. That Jesus came personally because my problem was a relational problem. He came personally to the, this world and he came personally to humankind and he came personally to you. And that he gives all of himself for you. That Jesus left the Father to bring you in. That he died to bring you life. That he was taken outside the city so you could be brought into God's family. And he says, only I could do it. Only believe in me. And you know what? Those that believe in him, it says, and I'll just spend more time on this, but I gotta stop. It says he gives the right to become children of God. Believer, struggling believer, Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical. You're not sure if even you are saved or not. Let me tell you this. As soon as you believe in his name and you are born anew by the spirit of God, you have every right and privilege of Jesus Christ himself before the Father. You have every right and privilege of the best Christian that you can imagine. You have every right and privilege. You are an object of mercy, but you no longer have to appeal to mercy. You appeal to Jesus you say, I know you won't cast me out because I see Jesus. I know, I know I'm know, i affirmed. I know I'm safe. I know I'm held because I see the cross. I know that I'm safe because I see the blood. I know that you will take me to the end, even though I keep messing up, even though I keep sinning, even though I can't get my life together, even though I'm such a huge mess, and I don't know if there's even any hope for me in these areas of my life. I don't know if I'll ever have it together, but I know that you will hold me because I see that. I see him. I see him on the cross, I see him risen, and I see him on the right hand of the Father today, interceding and holding and pulling me all the way to the ends. Only belief. Believer, are you letting the darkness creep back into your thinking? Are you believing lies about God or yourself? Is this powerful truth stirring you to thankfulness and to worship? Do you believe that this news is good enough to share with those you love? Are you far away from him today? And you wonder, will he bring me in? He says only belief. And I'll bring you home. And I'll bring you to the end. Come to the table of remembrance today. Remember his shed blood and his broken body for you. See Jesus as the bread and the juice is offered to you. See Jesus giving himself to you. See Jesus bringing you near and only believe. Today, if you're not a believer, Let's make today the last day that you started not a believer. Today can be the last day that you were born not a child of God. Separated by that chasm. Find me, find somebody during the service, after the service. Come forward to the bench, get somebody to pray with you, but don't wait. Only believe, Father, we thank you for the truth that Jesus came. We thank you that he reveals you to us. He reveals us to ourselves. Ah, but God, he gives us. He also reveals a great salvation for all of us who would only believe. So Father, help us to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, as we come forward to the table today, let it nourish our faith and our soul with the truth. That you give all yours all of yourself to bring us in. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.